Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the State Historian and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. And I'm Mary Donahue, Assistant Publisher of Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. As we all ease into 2022, I want to thank our listeners for supporting Grading the Nutmeg. We've just had our sixth birthday and hit over 100,000 downloads. We couldn't have done it without you. Be sure to let us know if there are topics you think we should investigate in future episodes. But now to today's episode. If you could manufacture something out of stone or metal and make a buck, they probably produced it in Connecticut. Today, we're going to learn more about an unusual and unique, in the truest sense of the word, company that made grape markers out of zinc, affectionately known as Zinkies by cemetery buffs. These bluish gray metal gravestones were made in Bridgeport and then shipped across the country. The company's slogan was, as enduring as the pyramids. But was that true or just boosterism? We'll find out with author Carolyn Ivanoff, who's written a feature article on the Monumental Bronze Company for Connecticut Explored's upcoming Spring 2022 issue. Ivanoff is a Bridgeport native and an independent historian. Her book, We Fought at Gettysburg, scheduled for publication late spring of 2022, features first-hand accounts by the survivors of the 17th Connecticut Infantry and their experiences on the greatest battlefield of the American Civil War. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Carolyn, you are one of the people I know that's so interested in Bridgeport. Could you tell me about Bridgeport as a manufacturing city in the 19th and 20th century? Well, Bridgeport became just a manufacturing powerhouse. During the First World War, manufacturing ramped up to such a great extent, it was known as the Essen of America. It was an armaments powerhouse. But there was so much more to it than that. They they manufactured just about everything. It Bridgeport uh, really became in the late 19th century and especially the early 20th century a city of massive in- immigration, not only from Europe but from everywhere on the East Coast, because of all the economic opportunities and and jobs that were available. Bridgeport is also uh, the place where the eight-hour day became a reality for many of these people working in factories in Bridgeport. One in 1915 by uh, a lot of the immigrant women who worked many, many hours, unskilled labor, with very, very little organized union input, but 1915 became the summer of strikes in Bridgeport, over 50 strikes, all in favor of the eight-hour day. And we have uh, the women of Bridgeport's industries to thank for uh, Bridgeport becoming a very progressive eight-hour-a-day city in 1915. Today, we're going to talk about the company, the Monumental Bronze Company, which is a company I've been interested in for years. And they produced a product that they advertised as white bronze. What is white bronze? Well, white bronze is um, nothing more than zinc. Um, And the white bronze that they used or they coined the term, the company coined the term because as a sales pitch, white bronze sounds so much more elegant 
than uh, zinc. And the, the alloy that they used was mostly zinc with a little bit of tin mixed in. And the company developed a process that finished these monumental bronze or white bronze markers and monuments that made it look pretty much like stone. And their advertising was um, pretty remarkable, just like the, co the company itself and the product itself, which was absolutely unique in American industry. So I know the company was founded by M.A. Richardson. How did he come up with this idea to use zinc? Yeah, M.A. Richardson uh, was, uh, in 1868, was in charge of a cemetery called Sherman Cemetery in Chautauqua, New York. And he was uh, a little disturbed by the um, way that stone markers, some stone markers, wore over time and to the point, and we're all familiar with cemeteries and, and some of the vagaries of monument markers, that they would just deteriorate to the point sometime where you, you couldn't see the carvings or read the names. And so he began to experiment with various materials, including stained glass, uh, galvanized iron, to make a more enduring funerary marker. And he tested many materials and he kind of stumbled upon and was quite struck with the qualities of cast or molded zinc. So he created a, a, a company, but he wasn't a great businessman and um, he didn't really have the resources to continue it. It kind of, kind of failed and he sold his investment to uh, Wilson Parsons and Company in Bridgeport. And this ultimately became the monumental bronze company that we are speaking of. It was established in 1874 in Bridgeport. And for advertising purposes, they did not call it zinc. They called it white bronze. I agree 100%. White bronze sounds so, so much more classy and bougie. I would definitely look at a catalog that said white bronze over zinc. But now you mentioned that this is a product that starts out with a, a casting process like a cast iron stove or or some other kind of metal that's heated how are these gravestones in zinc actually made well everyone is one of a kind actually the customer uh, there were no showrooms they were all sold by catalog and you could pick anything in the catalog and every single one of these is unique and they they would the customer would make choices and the company would uh, use sand castings and they would uh, cast, they could cast unlimited variances on many, many shapes, sizes, uh, statuary. And what they would do is they would pour the molten zinc into these castings. They would open the casting up and uh, they would ultimately assemble the monument, but they would assemble the monument on site. They would treat the monument with a secret coating. They, it weathers to a beautiful, beautiful and very distinct gray blue that you can spot in almost any cemetery in the United States today. Extraordinarily distinct, extraordinarily amazing because everyone is one of a kind. The customer could pick, you know, what they wanted to say. They could pick 
buy Bible verses and drapery and just uh, unlimited. And again, all sold by catalog, all uniquely cast, every single one, and uh, assembled at the cemetery. They would be fused together with more white bronze along the seams. And the creation is absolutely gorgeous if you're a cemetery aficionado. Uh, affectionately known uh, today as Zinkies. The Zinkies are so so distinguishable by their color because I think um, once you know you're, what you're looking for that blue gray color you could look across the 19th century cemetery and spot one for yards to say the least in the spring issue of Connecticut Explored we're going to be publishing uh, your six-page feature article on this company and one of the things we're going to reproduce is just one page from the catalog so the catalog it's got this one, just on this one page that we're printing with the article, I see hands and lambs and cherubs and angels and medieval cartouches and military symbols and harps. There were certainly just a huge selection, as you said, of panels you could pick so you could customize it. Now, because this is cast it's all bas relief, meaning it stands out from the stone instead of being carved into the stone. It becomes a genealogist's dream because if you look at these funerary monuments today, they are as sharp and as beautiful as the day they were cast. The names, the dates, the bas relief, they are really amazing. And if you do any kind of cemetery research, you start to realize that these are, sometimes the company advertising many times was not, I know we'll talk about this, was, uh, you know, they're more enduring than stone advertising. They're more enduring than the pyramids, last forever. Well, sometimes that wasn't always true, but the funerary monuments themselves are genealogists' dream because they are as beautiful today as they were the day they were cast. I know that slogan, white bronze is as enduring as the pyramids, had to just be a great selling point. So if they, were, if they didn't have showrooms, how would they sell these to the customers? What they had was they had catalogs, uh, which you say that there is one complete catalog online that you can look at. It's uh, at the Smithsonian Institution. I, I reference it quite frequently. But anywhere you go in, in a cemetery, if there's a monument that strikes you, you can find its elements in this catalog. So they were all sold by catalog. They had agents. In fact, right on my desk here, I have uh, their material that an agent would use to go around and sell these stones, these monuments. And um, they were pictures and advertising and samples and all kinds of wonderful things. So it was the Sears catalog or the Montgomery Ward catalog for funerary and um, public monumentation before Sears catalog, or maybe simultaneously with the Sears catalog becoming a reality with rural free mail delivery in the late 19th century. I'll be back for more in a moment. 
Did you know that you can get our new e-newsletter, Connecticut Explored Inbox, by signing up at our website, ConnecticutExplored.org. You'll receive your bi-weekly newsletter from Connecticut Explored with the latest stories, the newest Grading the Nutmeg podcast, programs and exhibitions from our partners to see or watch this month, and more. Now back to my guest. Now, they're put together, they're screwed together, and they have sort of a hidden screw system, so you don't really see how they're put together. But is it true that bootleggers hid liquor in them? Well, that's the the urban legend. Um, if you look at these monuments, um, I especially like the obelisks or the funerary monuments that are about as tall as I am. And they're beautiful and they are, you can actually see the decorative screws, but they're also fused together again with the zinc. They are hollow inside. And the greatest threat to these monuments is vandalism. Uh, unless it's a very tall, huge public monument, when there are several, the Stratford Civil War Monument is one that many are familiar with. But the greatest threat to the funerary monuments is, is vandalism. White bronze or zinc is a very brittle substance and can be smashed easily. They are hollow. And the urban legend was that bootleggers or thieves would go into cemeteries and hide their ill-gotten gains in these uh, white bronze monuments. There are other legends like uh, sometimes uh, if a um, cemetery sexton or groundskeeper needed a place to stash tools, he might choose a large favorite monument and put things in uh, in it like his um, hose or his uh, or his shovels. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that, but the you know there might be some truth to the fact that thieves and bootleggers used some favorite uh, white bronze monuments in favorite cemeteries to hide their ill-gotten gains. So uh, again, a very prevalent story. I would hate to say it's a myth, but quite plausible. There we go. When I was at the uh, Connecticut Historical Commission as a survey grants director, I worked with architectural historian Dave Ransom when he surveyed every Civil War monument in the state. And one that turned up that I didn't see coming was the fact that the Stratford Monument is made out of zinc. And at that time, it had some condition problems. What can you tell me about what happens with these large zinc monuments? The large zinc monuments... um they experience what is called metal fatigue. It's called the metal creep. And white bronze is, is quite durable, quite enduring. But the size of the monument due to the way, and the Stratford Monument is, is spectacular. It's 35 feet high. And uh, it's an obelisk monument topped with a spectacular flag bearer and, and with, a, with a drawn sword beautiful, but the weight of the monument bears down upon itself and the monument begins to uh, experience this metal fatigue or creep. And in Stratford, that is exactly what happened. The weight bears down on it and it's the, the monuments, when they're that large, begin to bow 
and bow and lean. And this is what was happening. It was in it was experiencing a lot of stress cracks and the town uh, decided to, you know, update the monument. They, they did a beautiful job, spent quite a bit of money on it. If you go there today, you can see the base is still got a little crack in it from the huge weight of the monument itself. But it, it is, it is uh, a spectacular monument. But Metal Creep is, is something that in the larger monuments, and there are many all over the United States on public greens and in many, many cities, um, Civil War monuments especially, that are experiencing this. The Stratford people did it right, and they there's a, a, a metal structure. They restructured the monument, and um, I'm 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 not concerned about that one. Uh, I think it will last for quite a long, long time. But a lot of the older ways of um, conserving these monuments was simply to fill the base with cement. And over time, that did more damage than the, the metal creep itself. Um, and again, the monuments are quite brittle. So if a tree falls on them or somebody plows into them or et cetera, et cetera, uh, they can experience um, quite a bit of damage. I know if our listeners think about the Statue of Liberty, for example, the Statue of Liberty has an iron frame, an actual steel framework inside the, the sculpture. And then the copper is hung on that, that skeleton, which is called an armature. And that's really what holds it up. And the yeah. outer side, pieces of, it, of the Statue of Liberty, which are basically kind of a copper, are hung on that strong skeleton support. So clearly that's where the zinc, the tall zinc monuments didn't have that internal structure, that armature that was really going to help hold them up like a skyscraper. Right. And um, it is interesting that they did have that problem with cracking and the weight compressing the metal. I know the other, there were a couple other questions the town was working with when they were working with the conservators and the engineers on the Stratford Monument. One was, uh, what could you use, what could they use to fill the seams where they had popped open so you wouldn't get water inside? And I think they finally went with a silicone, which is a substance that kind of moves with that seam. It'll stretch a little bit uh, as the cold makes the metal contract and the heat makes it expand. But that was a, that was a fascinating conservation problem for sure. Can you tell me about how the company went out of business or how did this fall out of favor? Well, they, the, the company was in business from uh, 1874 until 1914. And there, there's a couple of uh, issues that impacted its, its ultimate demise. In 1914, the, the U.S. government was getting us onto a wartime footing, even though we were still neutral. Um, Bridgeport especially became um, an, ammu an ammunition powerhouse, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a military supplier for um, the allied nations. And in 1914, the government took control of various metals and zinc was one of them. 
And therefore, uh, with government control, the Monumental Bronze Company switched to making uh, mounts for guns with the zinc. And they pretty much at that point ceased to make the funerary markers that were still relatively popular. Although the second issue was the desire for uh, zinc monumentation, which had been very, very strong, was starting to uh, fade away. Uh, The fad was over, so to speak. Uh, So in 1914, with the government takeover of the zinc uh, market, uh, the company began to make gun mounts. It continued until 1939 to make panels to update markers. So if you were a family that bought a monument, say you bought an obelisk, a draped obelisk, and you only had panels on two sides, but you wanted to honor family members that subsequently passed away, you could still uh, have the company cast new panels, new names, new dates that they would send to you to be affixed to your your current monument. But in 1939, that was pretty much the end of the company. In addition to the Stratford Civil War Monument, which I believe is on their green in Stratford, Connecticut, are there some other cemeteries that you recommend in Connecticut that people could really go out and spot some Zinkies? Yeah, any, any, almost any large cemetery in Connecticut. Of course, I love Mountain Grove in um, Bridgeport. And, um, you know, you can go there and see various notables like Tom Thumb and P.T. Barnum. But there are many, many zinc, zinc uh, monuments at Mountain Grove. You can see them in, I believe there are some in Grove Street Cemetery in New Haven. Cedar Hill in Hartford, uh, many of the larger cemeteries in Connecticut, many small cemeteries as well. All over the nation, in fact, you can see these, especially uh, on the East Coast and Midwest. They are as fascinating today to me as they were when they were erected. So, uh, yeah. And, and as far as Civil War monumentation, the the Stratford Monument is on Academy Hill in, in Stratford, but um, they erected many, many of these public monuments around the country, especially, again, to the Civil War, north and south. Um, we were driving in Belchertown, Massachusetts, to go look at a World War II Jeep, and as we're passing the town center, I yelled at my husband, stop the car, there's Zinke. And there is a beautiful, maybe 35 feet tall soldier on in Belchertown and many other court squares and greens in the nation. It is just beautiful. And it bears straight, it's right out of the catalog. uh, And it bears a remarkable resemblance to the fourth Ohio monument on East Cemetery Hill in Gettysburg, also a very tall, at least 35 feet tall, uh, silent sentinel soldier from Monumental Bronze Company. And I, I have to go see it almost every time I'm there. Carolyn, thank you so much for sharing this really interesting and unique in the truest sense of the word, one of a kind story about the Monumental Bronze Company. Thank you again. Thank you very much. 
Don't forget to get your copy of Connecticut Explored's Spring 2022 issue to read more about the Zinkies. And to see dozens of Zinkies from across the country, follow the Garden of White Bronze on Instagram. I'm Mary Donahue for Grading the Nutmeg. I hope you'll join us for our next episode of Grading the Nutmeg. Thank you.